one of the announcements there. And, uh, you know, we have a growth track that's starting here in, in two weeks. And, and basically, uh, our goal is that you not just sit in the seats, that after you're comfortable and you say, hey, I want to be here at Family Life, that uh, our growth track is designed to, to make sure you understand the vision of our church. And, in, and at the end of it, you're able to uh, join a serve team and begin serving and helping out. And, and our goal is this, is that, you know, is to get you involved in helping here at Family Life. And I believe that, uh, you know, church will only mean so much to you if, you if if you sit in the seats. But after you get involved and start helping and serving, it really, it really, uh, church will mean so much more to you. You'll begin to pe- meet people and make friends. And uh, so anyway, I just encourage you, you can sign up in the, in the Life Center or online on our website. But I just encourage you, sometimes people come and, they're here for years and never get involved, and, and I always think, man, you know, you get a chance to serve once a month but, but, uh, and give back, and I think it really will increase your experience uh, here at Family Life, and so anyway, also all of our first-time visitors, I think I see a few visitors here, we're so glad to have you, and our goal is just to be a blessing to you, our goal is to encourage you and help you in any way we, we can. And uh, so if you have a specific type of need or anything that we can help with, uh, you know, please let one of our ushers know or greeters know. I'm always out there in the hallway. Uh, I'm the last one to leave every Sunday. So I would love to talk with you and get to meet you and help you in any way that we can. Are you having a good summer so far? I think you are. I haven't seen some of you in quite a while. I think you've been on the European tour or something. Amen. But, uh, boy, life is busy and sometimes uh, summer even picks it up a couple notches. But uh, we've been doing a series um, called Success is Earning. We're finishing up that today. Uh, next week I'm going to start a series that will take us the rest of the way through the summer. Uh, next week I'm going to start a series called Running with the Giants. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated with some of the Old Testament characters. And so uh, the idea is going to come from the, the book of Hebrews that Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us put off all the sin that entangles us and let us run the race that God has set out for us. And, and I had a thought. Uh, what if you're, while you're running the race, what if one of the great Old Testament figures, men and women, came and ran alongside of you for a little bit? What would they say to you? And uh, I think it's, we're going to have fun and talk about some characters that maybe you didn't know. So we're starting that next week. Today we're finishing up our series, Success is Earned, and, and what we've been discussing the last eight weeks is, is real simple, that you don't accidentally fall into being successful, that success is something that you earn uh, by the way that you live, and you know, we, we've debunked some myths, but success is not defined by what we achieve in life. You can achieve everything that you ever want to achieve and still feel empty on the inside, and, and still not reach the level of success you wanted. Uh, success is not defined by power, prestige, or titles. Success is not defined by what we acquire, possessions. We've got this wrong in America. We've been chasing possessions. If I just get there, then I'll be happy. Yeah, I know a lot of people, I know people who have everything you could ever want in life, and they are miserable on the inside. But success is defined by who we are. Would you say that with me this morning? Say, success is defined by who I am. By who you are, by who I am, right? And uh, so very important. And what we've learned is that successful people, if you dissect their life and you really look at how they live, 
they just live differently than the average person. And uh, th- their character, their values, their morals really set them apart. And what you find is that they were able to live a principle-centered life, that they had some principles in their life that they didn't deviate. It didn't matter if someone put pressure on them. It didn't matter. Uh, they, they, they didn't conform to the world, but they, they, set, they had a standard, and they, they set that and lived that out. And, of course, we've been using the life of Joseph, I believe one of the most successful characters, in, certainly in the Bible, and who has ever lived. And if you read the, the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 through 50, what you find is that Joseph, uh, no matter what position he was put in, he always came out on top. He, had, he found a way to overcome and become successful. And he, he had a lot, many, many setbacks in life. And so all of us have setbacks. But setbacks are not... You know what? A lot of people use setbacks as, as an excuse to quit. Tell your neighbor, that was pretty good. <laughs> right? But sometimes, I mean, sometimes we self-pity comes and, and we blame other people. And what we learn about Joseph, Joseph never blamed anyone else for where he was at. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame his brothers. He didn't bl- blame Potiphar's wife for falsely accusing him of sexual assault. He, he didn't blame people. He was always looking at what he could do to overcome the situation. And, of course, we, we know that uh, we're looking at Joseph because he exhibits qualities that, that will lead to success every time. If we, if we read him in, in, in these stories, I think it's uh, such a great example. Of course, Joseph was sold as a slave to Egypt, but he found his way to rise above servitude to significance. And that's what we want to do. We want to find a way in life, how can we rise from where we're at to significance? To, significance means that we're, we're, you know, we're in a position to help ourselves, we're in a position to help others and to make a difference. So the implication for our lives is that we can choose to live in a way that allows us to rise above average and find true success. And we, you know, there's so many things, all the sermons are on our website if you want to listen to some of the old ones, but... You know, we started with faithfulness, that Joseph was faithful everywhere he went. And you and I, if we don't, if we are not faithful, we'll never be successful. We looked at uh, life stamina, how sometimes when life knocks you down, you, gotta, you just got to keep, you got to get up one more time that it knocks you down. You have to have the ability, and really, I meet people every week that when life knocks them down, they call in sick. They take a sick, they take a sick six months. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Some people, they get knocked down, they feel sorry for themselves, they take a victim mentality, and they just quit. You've got to get back up. You've got to keep fighting for your marriage. You've got to keep fighting for your kids. You've got to keep fighting for your relationship with, jo- with God. You've got to just, you got to have some fighting here. Then we looked at identity, and uh, probably one of the most important principles of life with Joseph is that Joseph knew who he was. And many of us, even in church, we have to come to understand who we are and who we belong to. If you understand who you are and who you belong to, it'll make a huge difference in your life. And we, we talked about many other things. And today we're going to conclude with what, what I think is another very important principle. And we see it in the life of Joseph. We're going to look at this today. But you have, if you're going to be successful, you have to become a leader instead of, becoming, instead of being a follower. You have to become a leader instead of always following. Um, it's just so, it's so important in life. Uh, without, without a question, leadership is, is such an important ingredient 
for success. And at, at some point in all of our lives, at some point, we have to transition from always following to leading. At some point, we have to decide we need to blaze a new trail. We need to take some leadership responsibility if we want to keep progressing in life. Let, let me put it this way. If all you do your whole life is follow, there's a, very, there's a threshold to how far you can go. And that threshold is very low. Like, all right, if you want to go to work, you say, I just want to follow, I just want to work 8 to 4, I don't want to get any calls after hours, I don't want any pressure, that's all I want to do. Um, you, you'll probably not be the vice president one day, right? It's, it's the ones who set out to take leadership and responsibility. And, uh, but I want, to, I want you to think about this for a little bit. To some extent, we always follow. So when I say you need to be a leader, that doesn't mean you just abandon everything and you say, I'm just going to lead everyone, I'm never going to follow. And even as a leader, there's times when you have to follow. As a matter of fact, let me put it this way. The best leaders are people who have learned how to follow someone else's lead. See, when you follow somebody and learn to lead, learn how to support, learn how to help, it helps you as a leader to help take followers with you. You know, the, the Chinese proverb says, he who thinks he's leading and is taking a walk by himself, he's only taking a walk, right? He's not, there's nobody following. Uh, so let me give you some, I was thinking about my life this week, and maybe you'll see this in your life. So I was 18 years old when I went, when I went to military, went to the United States Army, and so I started out with an E1. I was a private, right? And so you know what my job consisted of when I first went into the military? I had to follow the orders of my superiors. There was a sergeant over, you know, over, over me, and he, he would tell me what to do. So my job wasn't to go in the Army and lead everybody. I had to first follow. But let me say this. When, when um, my platoon leaders gave me a job to do, I also had to demonstrate some leadership ability to go do it. But I was following what they told me to do, okay? And then when I, I, I got out of the Army and, and I went to college, when I graduated from college, I got my first real job. Now I had all kind of jobs, but my, my first, like, career-type job. And I was the youth pastor for Family Life Church in Lafayette. And uh, so as a youth pastor, they hired me, and I was given responsibility, leadership responsibility. And I was, I was supposed to lead all of the student ministries. I mean, summer camps, mission trips, weekly meetings, anything that the students did from junior high through college, I was given responsibility for which meant that if something didn't go right, they came to me, right? They came to me, and they came really quick, really quick. They came to me. And, um, but think about this. I wasn't only a leader. I also, we had a senior pastor, Francis Martin, a great man, who was the pastor of the church. And so I had to follow his vision for the church and lead the youth ministry. I'm, I'm just trying to get you to understand that that even when you lead, there's, follower, there's followership as well. Of course, when I came here to start this church, um, you know, it, more leadership was required to be successful. And, and, you know, if there's a problem in anything at Family Life, you know, who do people call? Believe me, my, my phone blows up, right? Whenever there's any type of problem, you know, people call me. And it's even, I'm like, how'd you get my number? Oh, I had to call 20 people, you know? Okay, but they got it, and they're holding me now. But think about this, even, 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 so you say, well, you're the pastor of the church. 
But I, I still, I am required to follow God's lead. This is God's church. He's just given me the responsibility of leading, which means there's going to be more required of me when I meet him. Okay? And so God requires me to lead with integrity, with honesty, with, with sincerity and compassion. And so I want you to understand that there's a balance. Even when you lead, you still have, there's still a little bit of followership. There's always someone over you, someone you're trying to please, someone you're trying to help. But the point I'm trying to make also is some people, all they do their whole lives is follow. They never take any type of responsibility. They, they just follow. And if you only want to be a follower, there's a threshold that you can reach. And it's very low. If this is the threshold for a follower, as you begin to become a leader and develop your capacity to lead, you now maybe can get up here. And the better leader you become, the, the, the more... It, when you become a leader and let, allow God to help you, it lifts the lid on your life so you can grow. And so if we're going to be successful at some point, we have to assume responsibility to lead. We've got to quit blaming other people, and we have to start doing things uh, to, to, to make sure things are going well. So when I was, when I was young, when I, I guess I was, I don't know, 25 years old, um, I, I started when I was at Family Life in Lafayette, they were really big on leadership development. So we, st we went to so many leadership conferences. And I'll never forget this. I, one of my first conferences was John Maxwell. And you probably know him today. John Maxwell is one of the foremost uh, leadership experts in the world. He meets with the Pope. He meets with presidents. He meets with CEOs. I mean, he's just, just unbelievable. I think he's written 20-something books on leadership. But he made a statement that I didn't know if I agreed with. Have you ever been somewhere and someone makes a, a blanket statement? You're like... I don't know about all that, you know. That's like, that's a big call right there. And he said this, he's like, I want to tell you, there, there's a room full of, of, of all kind of leaders, church leaders, CEOs, CFOs, and he said this, I want, I want you to understand this, that everything, everything rises and falls on leadership. He said everything in life is determined by the quality of leadership. And uh, I started thinking, man, I wonder if that's true, but I start, started thinking about that and think about this. In the business world, there's a direct relationship between leadership and the health of an organization, right? If an organization is going to be healthy, if there, it's going to be profitable, if there's going to be employee satisfaction, there's going to be, there's, there has to be good leadership. And let me, I, you won't believe, I'll, I'll explain this point a little bit more, you won't believe how many people I talked to that the job they had, the company they worked for, was such a great place to work for, but there was a change in leadership. And all of a sudden, they don't like being there anymore. But what happened? The company, it's the same company. They make the same product. They, they have the same clients. But there was a change in leadership. And it changed the whole view of the organization. Now, think about with the family. When there's good leadership in the family, the family is healthy. And every time when you see families where the mother or father, the parents don't lead in a, in a good way, there's dysfunction in the family. If you want to stop the dysfunction, you just have to stop the leadership at the top. Well, what, what, what about church? You know, if spiritual leaders demonstrate godly leadership, the church will be healthy. Now, I'm not saying that uh, just because there's good leadership that every church reaches 10,000 people. That's not God's goal for every church. But, see, let me. one of the main things I talk to Christians who don't go to church anymore, you know what they say? They had a bad experience in church. 
let me refine that. A spiritual leader really let them down. Someone that they loved and respected made a big mistake, and, and people got hurt. And so even in the church world, if, if we're going to have a healthy church and reach other people, then we have, to have, we have to have leadership. Could you imagine, think if you went to church, some of you say, well, that, Terry, this is not spiritual leadership, this is not spiritual. Well, sure it is. Look at all the people in the Bible that led from God's perspective. How many of you would like to go to a church where there was no leadership? If you raise your hand, we're going to have a service Wednesday and you're going to be here. I mean, think about if you went to a church where there was no leadership. What that means is, hey, hey, Terry, when does the church start? Whenever we want. Well, how, how long does church last? We never know. Think about the worship team. What if the worship team showed up on Sunday morning and someone said, hey, what songs are we singing? I don't know. So they finally all day all decide on the song. They say, well, how are we going to do it? I don't know. Let's just, let's just go for it. Like that's a train wreck, right? And, and I'm, you know, I'm, being, I'm trying to be a little bit funny, but I mean, think about it. Think about uh, government. If a country has good leadership, you know, the people prosper, all people. And um, I want you to think about this because I know that in our country, I'm trying to be the least political as possible, but in our country, there's a leadership problem, right? Like there's a leadership problem. I mean, we, we, we've needed laws passed for 15 years and Congress hasn't passed them because they're too busy doing, doing this, okay? Um, let, 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 let's think about this. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, I, you know, if you read... First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. It lists all the kings of Israel and Judah. This is very interesting. If you read all those kings, every time there was a godly king, the nation prospered, and every time there was a wicked king, the nation spiraled down in, in wickedness and oppression. Came, was was the result of that? When I was I was in. Um, I was in Panama when I was 19 years old. I, I was sent to Panama uh, during the whole Manuel Noriega deal and uh, conflict. And I, I was 19 years old, so I have hardly no life experience. But I, I'm, I'm flying over different parts, and, and I see the poverty of the people in Panama. And I see the luxury of the leaders. I mean, the leaders had billions of dollars saved up, gold. I mean, it was just, they lived incredibly in, in a high percentage, I don't know what the percentage was, a high percentage of the people, uh, you know, lived in poverty. And I'm 19 years old, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at Panama, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, I, I want to go back. Um, they have incredible natural resources. If there was a good leader, they could open up tourism, which would, which would that in itself would create thousands of jobs, you know. But there's, there was a, a wicked leader. And uh, over the last 30 years, uh, of course, now if you go to Panama, th there's a big amount of people who, from America who are going there to retire. And, and tourism uh, is, is much better. So anyway, uh, let me say this. There's, of course, there's a leadership vacuum in the world today. And the, the world, I think the world is desperate for, for good leadership, for a godly leadership. For people to step up, and, and, you know, and, and help. And so the good news for us is when there's leadership vacuum, it gives us, it gives God's children an opportunity to step up and help. And by doing that, it raises our potential of what we can be.
So let's turn our li- let's turn our attention to Joseph for a minute because we're talking about his life. How do you think Joseph, who was a slave, how was the slave able to move from the very bottom to the top of society? He was the second in command next to Pharaoh. He was the prime minister of Egypt. What opened the door for Joseph to climb the ladder of success? And it's very simple. His ability to lead. His ability to lead is what got him from servitude to the prime minister. So let's think about this. When Joseph arrived, the first place he was sold to a man named Potiphar. And the story goes like this, that we know that Potiphar was, uh, he was in charge of the Pharaoh's royal guard. He was a highly influential man. And he, the Bible says that he had, he, had a, he had a plantation, probably, I don't know how big it was, but he had servants and crops and animals and all kind of things to, to manage. And when Joseph arrived there as a slave, we see that as time went by, Joseph was put in charge of managing his whole plantation. So how was a slave able to start managing uh, his plantation? Well, it's real simple. When Joseph arrived, there was no one there that had the capacity to do it. There was no one there that, I mean, if there was somebody there that was willing and able and capable of doing it, Joseph would not have risen above that. But apparently there was a vacuum, and Joseph began to exert, uh, you know, some of his leadership capabilities, and, and he, he rose up. And next we see that Joseph is thrown in prison. And Joseph goes from being a prisoner to running the whole prison. The, it says the warden saw that the favor of God was upon Joseph and put him in charge of the whole prison. Again, why was Joseph put in charge? Because apparently in the prison, and I mean, you know, if you're probably looking at a prison, probably the clientele's not super high, you know. But he was able, there, there was the leadership vacuum, and all Joseph did was be faithful and fill, fill that need. That's what a leader does. They fill a need. And of course, when Pharaoh, the story goes on, it tells that Pharaoh, he had a dream about that a severe famine in Egypt was going to happen, and, and the story goes that there was going to be seven good years uh, of prosperity and abundance and seven years of famine. And so Joseph, of course, with God's help, interpreted the dream, um, and then he's placed in charge of all the food production of Egypt and, and placed as prime minister. So... Um, what Joseph told him was this. He said, this is what's going to happen. This is what you should do. You should find someone who's capable and put him in charge. And Joseph didn't try to promote himself. And Pharaoh was looking at this guy. He's like, well, you're the only one that's knowing, that knows what's going on. I'm just going to use you. And so, again, Joseph became the prime minister simply because he had the leadership ability. And, and that job, the prime minister, that job was a big job. It cost him a lot of time. You know, they did all kind of things, and he had to be very organized, so on and so forth. And so, but, but here's the thing. Joseph didn't start as prime minister. Joseph started at running a plantation. So what I want to tell you today is don't worry about leading something big. Just start leading where you're at. I mean, sometimes a big job is just to lead your two kids, right? That's true. I see people walking across the parking lot, and they get here, and their kids are still out in the parking lot. It takes leadership. Get those kids here. You know, A, a it takes leadership to, to, get, to, get, to get a wife and kids or your husband and kids uh, even to church on time. So, but when you start off with the small things and are faithful, listen, you don't have to promote yourself because God will make sure you have more. Just be faithful where you are. Start serving, uh, you know, where you're at. So let's talk about this for a minute because sometimes when I start talking about leadership, I see people's eyes glaze over. 
Like some of you are like, please hurry. You know, what time? Oh, 15 more minutes, you know. But I want you to think, so one, one of the main barriers to leadership is that many people don't see, their, see the potential within them. They don't see themselves as leaders. And the, the truth is that some people are born with, with just natural giftings, but here, everyone can learn to be Everyone can learn to be a leader. Everyone can raise their leadership ability uh, with God's help. And the second thing is, is I think one of the barriers, one of the main reasons that people do not want to be in leadership is because with leadership comes criticism. Have any of you ever been criticized? If you've never been criticized, it's because you never tried to lead anything. I mean, I mean, it could even just be HOA. I mean, it could be lead anything. Because here's because most of most of life are followers, and many followers they would rather just sit around and complain about you than do something themselves. And so those two things we have to get used to. I want to talk real quickly about four things that can help us this morning. Four things um, is I'm calling it the art of leadership. Of course, leadership is an art. And again, there are some tremendous books you can read on leadership. Uh, when you read the Bible, there's so many stories of leadership, and you can look at, well, what did they do? And how can I use that in my life? But the question is this, how do you become a leader? How do you become a good leader? What do leaders do? What are the traits that leaders exhibit in their lives? And how do we move from following to leading? And, and I was thinking about this week, I'm going to give you four things. The first of all is that leaders always have a vision. Leaders always have a vision for the future. And, uh, you know, Proverbs 29, 18, the, the Bible says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And I, I've always found this verse very, very interesting because the word, the word vision, it really it means where there, where there is no revelation, where there is no word from God. Where there's no word for God, people perish. And I, when I was growing up, I always thought that word perish meant, that meant they died. You know what the word perish means? It means stagnation. Where there is no word from God, where there's no vision, the people stagnate, and, and really it means to make a lack of progress. And, and uh, so you can be in the same place for years and years, but one, one leader can make a difference, you know? Uh, once they have a, a, you know, a revelation, a word from God, a vision, so the main difference between a follower and a leader is that a leader sees all the current problems, but a leader sees the potential in every problem. So think about this. Every time you have a problem, every time there's a problem on your job, every time there's a problem, um, there's, there is a solution to every problem. And leaders find the solutions. The quickest way to become a leader is to solve a problem. That's what leaders do. They solve problems. So a leader understands that there's a solution to every problem, and they're able to fix their eyes on the possibilities because they have a vision that drives them. So followers see things as they currently are, but a leader sees things through the eyes of faith, the eyes of vision, how things can be in the future. So here's, here's the, the number one question. If to be a leader you have to have vision, how do you get vision? How do you get vision for your life? And I am, I am convinced that the majority of people walking through life, the majority of people that you meet every day, they're going through life and they're working hard and they're trying hard and they're, 
fighting to be successful, but they're doing all that without a vision. And see, the thing is that a, a vision, a vision is the roadmap to your final destination. Like if you have a map of this is where I want to be, um, you know, this is the goal, this is the vision, where I want to be. So vision is a roadmap that takes you to where you want to get to. But many people are just fighting and going through life, but they don't really know where they want to end up. And leaders know, leaders have to, a leader has to know where they're going. No one will follow you unless you know where you're going. Uh, one of my favorite stories, I was reading a book one time, and it was, it was about World War II, and there was this pilot, and of course all their technology was way, way, way back in World War II, and so the control tower at the, on, on a, you know, he came in contact with the pilot, and he asked him, where are you at? And his navigation system was down, so he's like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm making record time. A lot of us are making record time, but we don't know where we're going. It's better to go 10 miles an hour and know where you're going than 100 miles an hour and, and be going somewhere you don't want to be. You know, uh, the, uh, I've told this story before, but it, it, it's, it's funny. So, anyway, so the, old, the people that have been here a long time have to forgive me. So I had, you know, I was a stinger gunner in, in the Army, and so I had to, you know, we... we there was two of us that would be assigned to one vehicle. We had our Stinger missiles on there. And we're going to play war games. And I, I got the one sergeant that nobody wanted. Because I, I, was, I was a private. So I got the, of all the sergeants you wanted to be on your vehicle with you, I got the one. And, and he had been, I don't know, I think he had some drug problems. He had been, he had been, he had lost a lot of rank for, for drugs and stuff. And so everyone's giving me a hard time. Everyone's giving me a hard time. And um, so he's reading the map, and I'm driving. And the military, you know, uh, topography map is, they're really hard. They're, they're really difficult to read. And so we're going, and, and his name was Worley. I said, Worley, are we going in the, Sergeant Worley, are we going in the right place? Oh, yeah, yeah, checkmate, man, we're going the right place. And so we came up over, and, and lo and behold, there was the division, you know, headquarters. And he said, we here. I said, Worley, look around. Do you notice they have a different color on than we do? It is the headquarters of the enemy, of the enemy. And so I'm fixing to floor it and get out of there. And he says, hold on, I want to ask for a smoke. So, true story, true story. So anyway, but you have to know where you're going. Vision, vision uh, gives that to you. So listen, so how do we get a vision? Let's go back to Jeremiah 33, 3. It says this, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So as a Christian, I'm assuming that you here this morning want to follow God, and, and so as Christians, we develop a vision for our lives. Listen, not by listening to fads, not by listening to the news, not by listening to what our friends say. We develop a vision for our life from hearing from God, directly from God. And so God says, listen, if you will call to me, that's prayer, if you will call to me, I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you did not know before. And so the idea is that as we spend time with God, as we spend time in prayer, and by prayer, don't just tell God what you need. Have some time for him to talk back to you. Have some quiet time as we pray, as we read the Bible, as we reflect with the Lord. The idea is that he will speak to us, and I'm convinced of this. God has a plan for every one of our lives, and he wants to, he wants to illuminate that to you. 
And I, I'm convinced that as many times we need to quit doing all the things we're doing and just spend time with God and first get a vision. You have to know where you're going before you can make progress. And I'm convinced of this. As we make time to spend time with God, He will clearly give us vision for our lives. He will answer the questions that we have, you know, in, in, our, in our minds. So that's the, the very first thing is we, we have to have vision. I just would encourage all of you here today, if you don't have a vision for your family, for your life, for your career, if you don't have a vision, before you go running around 100 miles an hour, take a few weeks and don't do anything until you first get a vision from God. Get, let his vision, you know, what type of family do you want to have? Where do you want to be? And allow the Lord to speak to you. Number, the, the second thing is this, so leaders have vision. Second thing is that leaders take action. Leaders take action. And Stephen Covey, he's the author of the book. He's, he's not alive anymore. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And he listed seven things that highly successful people, character traits they have in their life. And the one thing, number one was this. He said that the number one trait of successful people is the ability to initiate positive action. And he called it this. He gave it the name um, proactive proactive and he said that leaders are proactive that means when they see a problem coming they they take action to get over the problem but that but that followers are reactive all they do is react to problems and we know that if we react we don't we, we never solve a problem so preactive means that you know where you want to go and you take action to get there when you run into problems proactive people think about strategies to overcome their problems things like well, gosh, we're up against this wall. What can I change? How can we do things differently to achieve a different outcome? So, I mean, think about this. I want you to think just for a minute. Let's say, um, let, let's take your family. Let's say uh, you're, you're, you're married and you have a husband or a wife and you have kids and, and you have a vision for how God, you believe God wants your family uh, to be. But when you look at your family, when you look at God's vision, you look at your family, you're like, man, we're in a mess. We're in a mess. Reactive people just blame everyone else. Proactive people say, hey, you know what? God has a vision for our family to be here, and we are down here. Let's do something to get up here. Let's do something. Let's take action. Let's take responsibility. And basically, let's make some adjustments. You start looking at your schedule and you're like, man, we're never in the same house at the house same time. We're doing all these things. We're going to cut our activities so we can spend time together. Man, we're so busy. There's no spiritual activity in our life. We're going to cut some things and we're going to get in church and we're going to get you involved in youth group and we're going to take Bible studies. I mean, you, you do something when if you have a vision, uh, you know, for your career and you realize that it's not going according to what God has given you. You make adjustments. Proactive people make adjustments. And you ask yourself some questions. What do I need to do to get my career to where God wants me to do? Do I need to take some extra schooling? Do I need to take some classes? Do I need to change companies? Do I need to transfer? What, what do I need? So what happens is, you know, if you have a vision for your family and you, and you have an opportunity that won't enhance God's vision, it's real simple. You just don't do it. Doesn't, money doesn't matter. Security doesn't matter. If you want God's vision for your family, then, then, then that's what you, uh, you, you want to do. Is this making sense? So let me, 
Let me give you, and here's the thing, as you go through life, you know, there's always going to be problems. You always have to make adjustments. So we started Family Life 18 years ago, and we were, renting a, we were meeting in a daycare. It was so much work. How, how many of you were in, in the daycare? Just hard, not, not very many, about 10% of the church now. That, that wiped them out. They left after the, after the daycare years. They left and said, I never want to remember that again, you know. But we, we, had, we were meeting in a daycare. I mean, it was so much work. And basically, the daycare was at the size where we, we could get up to around 120 people. And that's all we could have. That's all we could do. And then people would get transferred and moved, and we would go back down to 80. 120, 80. And we did that, we did that for three years. And so now, this doesn't. This doesn't look well on my intelligence. But one day I was thinking about that, and, and I'm like, God, you got to help us get over 120. And, and God said, you don't have room for more than 120. That's a good observation. I should have asked that question three years ago. And so basically what I thought is, man, if we don't do anything, in 20 years we're going to have between 80 and 120 people because that's all we can handle. And so, you know, we took a step of faith, and, we already had this land, and we built the building over there. It was a, a you know, we, for our size, it was a huge step of faith. Well, once we got into the building, over the next seven or eight years, we quadrupled. And then we got to the place where we're having multiple services. We have kids out in portable buildings, and we couldn't grow anymore. And then we, we built this building. And it, it took a lot of faith and, and a lot of money, and there was some stress involved. But the thought is, the thought is this. God has given our church a vision not to be the biggest church in town. God has given us a vision to help families. If we can't house any more people, then we can't get to where God wants us. God wants, I mean, God, God's heart is for people. He wants the church to help people. If the church can't reach any more people, that's just, that's just an idea. But to get where we wanted the Lord to get, get you just have to make, you have to make some... Um, you have to make some, some adjustments along the way. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying, what's he, what he's saying? To, to get to the vision God has for me, I can't look to the past anymore. I've got to look to the future. I've got to, I've got, we've got to do things a different way. We've got to make some adjustments. We've got to be proactive. And, of course, the vision that God had given Paul was to establish the church. And over a 20-year period, all over the Mediterranean world, Paul started churches all over. And then the epistles that he wrote in, in the New Testament to, you know, Corinthians, you know, uh, all these Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all these were written uh, to the churches. And in the epistles, it tells them, hey, to be a healthy church, you've got to change this. To be a healthy church, you have to do this. And uh, so anyway, I'm going to run out of time, so I need to keep going. So leaders first have a vision. Second of all, leaders take action. They, they take action to, to make sure they're going toward the vision God has given them. And the third thing is that leaders display godly character. Leaders display godly, godly character. One of the biggest problems in our country today, in the business world today, and it's not just in America, it's everywhere. The biggest problem in leadership is a lack of character. That's the, it's not even close. That's the biggest problem. You have people that are leading 
but they don't have the character to look out for the people they're leading. And it's a, it's a, a terrible thing. So your character, who you are as a person, gives you the right to lead others. Uh, let's look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul, Paul is writing, Paul had two spiritual sons. He had more than that, but Titus and Timothy. And he wrote First and Second Timothy to Timothy in, in Ephesus. And Titus was on the island of Crete. And Titus was given the responsibility of building the church in, in, on the island of Crete from the ground up. And this is what Paul says to him. He, the, his first thing is about the character of a leader. He says, since an overseer, a leader, manages God's household, he must be blameless. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, uh, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy me messages uh, as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So according to Paul, a character was the most important ingredient for leaders in a church. And, and uh, you know, I have one friend that says, character is king. A guy named Rice Brooks says this, that you can build your life on a talent, but in the end, your character will destroy you. How many times in the last six months have we seen people, famous people who've made millions of dollars, that they built on their talent, and they were incredibly gifted at what they did, but it came out that their character destroyed them? I mean, I don't need to name names, do I? I mean, the list is just down there that, man, these people built all this incredible success. If they would have had character to go along with their talent, it would have been unbelievable, but at the end of their life, their character destroyed their, their reputation. You know, people say, well, Terry, I don't understand. You know, this growth track, you got to take the growth track to start leading somewhere. You know, what's the big deal about that? Here, here's why we do that. One is we just want to get to know people a little bit. The biggest mistake that I have made since I've been the pastor of this church is putting somebody in a position that, that they didn't have the character to do. And if anyone's ever in a leadership position, they don't have the character, it's going to come down with a crash, and it hurts people, and it embarrasses the church. You say, well, Terry, why'd you do that? Well, I didn't know I was doing it. I mean, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't on purpose, you know. There were some things I didn't know about, but um, it, it's just so important. It's so important. So I would say this, if you want to lead, get a vision from God, you know, start taking, be proactive. In, in, in making adjustments in your life, making changes. And the, the third thing is to build character. If you want God to use you, then you have to have character. Character produces longevity. When you have character, you don't have to worry about somebody calling and saying, he did this, she did this, you know. Um, and then, of course, the four, fourth thing is this, and we'll close with this, is that leaders love people. Leaders love people. Uh, to lead people, you have to first love them. A leader leads people. They have followers, what they do. And so you have to care about the well-being, about, about their future, and you, and you have to have the ability to put their needs above your own. And I want to go back real quickly to, 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 to Joseph. Joseph is a prime minister. You know, I, I'm thinking about this. Joseph ran the, the biggest food production in the history of the world. What he did saved millions of lives. 
all of Egypt, all the surrounding nations, just from what he did. But I want you to think of this. What, I even thought of this. Why would Joseph even care about the Egyptians? Think about this. He had political differences. He had religious differences. He, he cared about people, and he served people that I'm not really even sure he liked that much. But he cared about their well-being. He understood if someone doesn't do this, thousands and thousands of people are going to die of starvation. And, and so he served. He led this, this campaign that was going to benefit people that I'm not even really sure he liked. And think about this. Joseph, when his brothers came to him, his brothers who had sold him into slavery, when they were out of food, Joseph took care of them, moved all their, them and their families to Egypt, and provided for them during the whole, during the whole, uh, during the whole famine. You know, listen, I think sometimes in church, there's a lack of love for people. I know a lot of churches where they would have said, just let those heathens die. That's true. What I want to do is work for heathens. They don't even know God. Just let them die. Well, that's the reason you ought to save their lives, so that they can get to know God, you know? But, but I, mean, I mean, I really wasn't joking when I said that. I know people who believe that. I know people that are so selfish that all they think about is themselves. And a leader thinks about other people. Uh, the goal of a leader is to lift people to a place that they've never been. To help people who cannot help themselves. And so, you know, I, I, did, I just believe that God, God wants the church. I, I believe he wants us to be leaders. I believe he wants us to stop always just following and step up in leadership. And I believe that this will give, uh, first of all, it will give you the opportunity to speak into people's lives who you would never have the opportunity to speak into. Think of how many lives Joseph got to speak into just because he chose to lead. Think, everyone came to him. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible uh, situation. And um, so I, I just want you to, I just, I'm trying to get you to think this morning. Let me have the band go ahead and come up. That if you, if you just want to follow your whole life, it, it, may be a, it may be a more simple life. It may be less trouble sometimes, but there will always be a shelf to, to what you can do. When you allow God to help you start to lead, it will allow you to earn success. It will allow you to get to places and have influence in people's lives that, that really you never thought that you would. Would you stand with me this morning? Just take a moment to think. Think about your life and think about, man, are there some areas in my life that I need to assume leadership? Uh, are there some things I need to do in my family that I need to assume leadership? Are there some things in my job that I can do? Are there some things in the church that I can do? What, what are some areas that I could do to, to help, to help to be a team player, but to help build community, to help uh, lift people to a higher level. And this morning, I just, I, I believe this, that I believe that really for us to lead the way God wants us to, I believe that we have to have God's help. We have to be able to see his vision. And I just want to pray for you this morning. So if you're here this morning and maybe you say, man, Terry, I've been a follower my whole life. And it's not that I've done bad things, but 
I just want to do more. I want God to open up doors for me. I want to begin to to assume leadership responsibilities. Maybe there's some of you here today that you've been leading, but there's areas of your life where you need to step up and be a better leader. I just want to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning and say, man, Terry, I just want God to help me to to be a better leader, to put me in a position where I can help people, to put me in a position where I can influence people. Would you just raise your hands this morning? God, we just thank you today. And Jesus, we, just, we, we, we know that we can't do anything without your help. But God, when you're helping us, Lord, we can do things that we don't even think that are possible. And God, when it comes to leadership, leading in our communities, leading in our families, leading in our careers, God, we need your help. We need your help. We need you to give us vision. We need to give you, we need you to give us the answers to the difficult problems that come up. Lord, we need you to build our character. And God, most importantly, we need you to put a love of people in our hearts. God, right now I pray for everyone here this morning. And God, I pray that you are lifting their capacity to lead. God, that you're showing them things they've never seen before. You're giving them wisdom. You're giving them discernment. God, you're helping them. You're really helping them to be a difference maker, God. You're helping them to take leadership responsibilities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.